0: Hello everybody, hello Devils fans, and happy almost first round of the NHL playoffs after the qualifying round. My name is Dan Rosell, and I'm joined after a week-long hiatus by John Fisher. Hey, John. Hello, Dan. It's been an exciting week in hockey. I would have to say, you know, people were trying to speculate what the players would be like, what the play would be like after many months off, after a lot of time spent, um, you know, with a lot of uncertainty. Seems like no one missed a beat because these games have been intense. These games have been, for the most part, pretty competitive, uh, score-wise at least. Maybe not in the flow of play, but there are some weird results happening here, which is just a marvelous testament to the parity of the NHL and also a uh, horrible testament to the fact that one of these very good teams that happen to be eliminated in five games gets a chance at a, another generational center.
1: Well, he's a left, oh, winger, sorry, a left winger, it's questionable if he's generational, but yes— Uh, a very good team could very end up very well end up with the best player of the draft class and a player who can step into the NHL right away I would go as as far as to say Dan the only player in this draft class that should be jumping straight into the NHL Mm -hmm.
0: so let's go over some of the uh happenings of that qualifying round and I I gotta say you know the the bubble has worked as intended so far so far they haven't had to postpone any games stop anything Mm -hmm. seems all the tests are going positively so that's uh, definitely good news for the NHL. And good news for Devils fans, which is kind of a double-edged sword, is that the Carolina Hurricanes easily dismantled our hated rivals. Uh, it didn't take them any time at all. They look completely dominant the entire series. And now they get a chance, The our rivals do, to uh, select Lafreniere in the first round. So they're at 12.5%, as is every other losing team from the qualifying round.
1: Right. And for everybody who's not aware, this draw is going to happen on Monday... At 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So by the time this show gets up, you might already know who that is. Mm -hmm. But for those who aren't aware of when it's happening, it happened on Monday. (laughs) Yeah, we
0: have to kind of retroactively include that. But I'll I'll put that in the post in terms of, you know, the, the reaction will be obvious from Devils fans if the Rangers win the lottery. We obviously don't want that. We want them to get as bad a pick as possible. Fingers crossed that the 87.5% chance that it doesn't happen actually comes through. So that was the uh, Hurricanes versus the Rangers. Then we got the Panthers versus the Islanders. The Islanders seem to have a very easy time against an offensively impotent Florida Panthers team, uh, dispatching them in four games.
1: And Sergey Bobrovsky proved that he is indeed worse than Carey Price when it comes to value on contract, mm-hmm. as he was stink this whole week in the net definitely not an eight-figure goaltender and what he's got six more seasons left on that contract no wonder florida has already and has already determined they want to go in a different direction from gm dale talon
0: yeah it was really funny to see right after game four ended maybe like five to six minutes after that you saw a tweet from i believe it was the athletics uh, panthers reporter who basically was like they're parting ways with dale talon which is not really a surprise to anyone. It was more of a surprise that he got a second chance there in the first place. But yeah, the Islanders pretty much made them rethink their management and both, you know, literally and metaphorically.
1: Absolutely. Whereas uh, Mr. Andy Green gets to enjoy a playoff series. And another team that may have
0: some difficult decisions to make, uh, whether or not it's, you know, coaching or management, is the Pittsburgh Penguins. This would be a nightmare scenario to win Alexis Lafreniere because this would make... Three very good, or at least considered to be almost generational players, two generational players happening in three different kinds of draft lottery shenanigans, I'd say. The first one didn't involve a lottery and is the reason the lottery exists in the first place. The second one was a lockout, and the third one is because of the pandemic. But now Pittsburgh, after losing to Montreal in a meek four games, has a chance to pretty much continue their player-to-player legacy.
1: Well, it's possible, but as we've learned from many other teams in many different sports, it's about how you manage it. You know, you can stockpile all the great players you want, but if you don't put the right complementary players, you make decisions like sticking with, say, Matt Murray for four. I'm sorry, three of those four games when he should have been on the bench in game one, and um, you know, you go out and spend big money on useless players like Jack Johnson or acquire players like like uh, him and his bad contract. Then guess what? You're not going to get the most value out of your top-tier talent. So Pittsburgh's window does appear to be closing. Lafreniere can keep it open for a little longer, but it's not a guarantee that it's going to stay open if they do win the lottery. That being said, Dan, there was a lot of chatter that uh, Carey Price, you know, who before this past week was considered to be the worst value uh, goaltender, he actually got 15 million dollars of salary this this season. He was the fourth highest paid player in the in the league, and he was bad in the season. And you hear the reports of an NHL players saying, Oh, we're scared of playing Carey Price. He's a big money goaltender and people like me would go, Ha, look at his stats, he's terrible. <laughs> well, sometimes the players know more than we do, right? uh, Yeah,
0: I think and there's a lot Montreal, of yeah. Uh, there's a lot of chatter in general. I think that's where you were headed with it, but that Montreal, ooh, could they maybe pull off the upset? It'll be mostly on Carey Price. Uh it was exactly on Carey Price.
1: <laughs> yep, it was. And they took care of business. Their five-on-five five game was strong, and now they are playing with house money. They're going to the playoffs.
0: Mm-hmm. So they actually miss out. This would be a poetic destination for Lafreniere, but uh, it the chips did not fall that way so now he has a chance to go to pittsburgh instead of montreal which i believe the league would have been very happy about from a marketing perspective especially in french canada but uh such is life we move on they move on and so the last series that should have concluded uh last night at the time of recording this but has not uh, is toronto versus columbus and columbus maintained a three goal lead with four and a half minutes left and usually this happens to the Leafs in reverse, but the Leafs managed to pull off a comeback, win in overtime, and now they play their next game, or their Game 5, on Sunday. We're recording this Saturday, so you'll know the winner by the time this episode goes up. And you'll also know that if the Toronto Maple Leafs lose, this draft lottery may be the highest-rated Canadian TV show all year, because you have immediately, the Jets are in it after losing to the Flames, you have, mm-hmm. uh, not Montreal, shockingly, but you have... Um, uh, you have Toronto in it after that. You have Edmonton in it as well. So there's going to be a lot, a lot of eyes on this Monday draft lottery.
1: And the coincidental thing here is that in game three of this series, Toronto was up three, nothing on Columbus. And then Columbus came back and won it in overtime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's basically going to come down to who's going to be most remembered for their three game uh, botching. I'm sorry, their three goal lead botchery. Is it going to be Toronto botching it in game three, or is it going to be Columbus botching it in game four? We shall, see, we shall see, but you people will know exactly what would have happened since it happened on Sunday night. Yeah, to be so, a
0: fly on the wall in the Blue Jackets locker room after blowing that three-goal lead, I, I mean, I would pay serious money to see what Tortorella had to say
1: to them at that point. Well, if Toronto doesn't go out and win the game on Sunday, well, every—, every Everybody's going to be mad in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to be apocalyptic. They're going. That's that's the appropriate term here. Cardiologists in the Greater Toronto Area are going to be having their schedules filled, calling fans up to say, "Please lay off the salt. You're already mad enough about the hockey game. You don't need to add more sodium to your diet." I like the
0: uh, pandemic twist on apoplectic by calling it apocalyptic. Uh, I think that works actually very yeah, well in this sure. scenario. Um, I'm a
1: hockey blocker. I don't need to know how to pronounce words, Dan. No, you, made,
0: you made a pun. How about that? We'll say that.
1: <laughs> sure. I made a pun. I'm correct.
0: I'm. <laughs> you did good. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to the West. Yeah, so that's the East. And moving on to the West, we had a, what I would consider a hilarious upset in Chicago, taking down Edmonton, eliminating one of the host teams uh, for this return to play. And honestly, Edmonton just... There was zero defense played this series by either team. It was just a matter of which goalie managed to be better, the battery of Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen or Corey Crawford, and Crawford won that battle.
1: And amazingly, Crawford was one of the few players to have been reported positive for coronavirus ahead of this whole return to play. He didn't practice with the team. He didn't go to training camp. There was a legitimate question if he was going to be in this entire tourney. Well, he did show up, and... He made the big difference for Chicago. And honestly, if you're not going to play defense against Chicago, if it's going to come down to who's going to score, score a whole bunch of goals first, well, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tays, Dominic Kubalik, and Brandon Saad are just as good to hang with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisidel, and um, Other dudes, (laughs) the rest. No offense, no offense to you, Kyler Yamamoto, but you're not quite there yet. You're still in the dude category. Uh,
0: Uh, Well, it was an interesting choice by Dave Tippett to not play the most successful line he had all regular season for a majority of this series. He just blatantly chose to not
1: put them together. I think they were together for four total shifts. Not good. Look, (laughs) anytime you're in a five-game series. And you're in a bad situation. You just don't put your best guys together, Dan. You got to think long term. Yeah. Just as just as well, um, just to put a fine point on this, this game had the most hilarious ending to all the series uh, eliminations, where it's you know Edmonton's down a goal. They pull Koskinen, but Koskinen apparently got told to hang back, mm-hmm. and then Chicago moved the puck out of the zone, so he's caught in no man's land, and there's like seven Oilers on the ice because. Koskinen never got off and some other guy jumped on. So they took a backbreaking with fewer than 2 minutes left to play, a too many man on the ice penalty. Uh-huh. And yeah, that's 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 how their season series ended. And honestly, Remember, Edmonton was a five seed, similar to Pittsburgh. If Edmonton had done a little bit better in the regular season, it would have been Dallas in this position. Mm -hmm. And Edmonton never would have had to suffer this indignity of having to go and potentially lose their second playoff appearance since the lockout was in. I'm sorry, the salary cap was introduced. But, you know, they couldn't beat the 12th best team in the Western Conference. So it goes. Yeah, and if I'm,
0: you know, Edmonton, I'm even more upset seeing how Dallas has performed recently. Dallas has not won a game in the bubble. In fact, they haven't won a game since February 25th. And now, yeah, you know, obviously that seems much longer given the pause, but that was still a couple of weeks before the pause even started. Um, oh, yeah. So Dallas is careening down an 0-9 spiral right now. Uh, They don't look good. They don't look like they remember how to score goals at all, like all those vaunted players you say on Dallas. So if you're Edmonton, if you're Pittsburgh seeing, you know, Boston kind of stumbling so far, Washington kind of stumbling, you have to be a little bit upset about the little details that led you to lose to 12 seeds. But again, these five seed teams didn't really look particularly interested in trying to move on. They kind of just took for granted that they would move on. Um, yeah,
1: and and in a five-game series, you can't afford to take a game off. Like, you have to hit the ground running. Mm-hmm.
0: Pressure changes much quicker. There's, you know, earlier situations where you have to uh, really dig deep, and I don't think they were ever really in the series ready to do that. So Edmonton gets eliminated. They have an early exit again. Calgary versus Winnipeg would have been a good series if the entirety of Winnipeg's roster uh, was not injured. Uh, whereas in the first game, they lost both – Blake Wheeler, and no, they lost Mark Shifley, and they lost Patrick Laine.
1: Yeah, they lost two of their top six and two of their best players. Immediately. And on, that's on top of some other injuries, the fact that Dustin Bufflin opted out of their whole season. Mm-hmm. It was based, you know, going into the series, you're like, this is one of those series, like, as a Devils fan, you could just watch and just be like, hey, this is the Devils, have no stake in this, let's just enjoy this. But the Jets were going to be driven by Connor Hellebuck, but even Connor Hellebuck can't score goals, so... Yeah, Kyle Connor Quiet, sorry, did not do much. Like, it just, it, the Jets were clearly deflated. Yep. And Calgary is, uh, they're moving on up. You know, maybe they'll get lucky and draw Dallas. And as with
0: any series that includes Matthew Kachuk, it was not without its controversies. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that he did not intend to slash someone's, like, tendon, but who knows? Can't get it in his head. And, um, You know, that was game one and we'll see what controversies he brings in round two Um, or uh, really round one of the playoffs, but round two of uh, playing any sort of games. So uh, that's Calgary Winnipeg. And then uh, we have. A disappointment and a triumph, in our opinion. So a disappointment is the fact that John Hines was not to be trusted as his Nashville Predators fell to the Arizona Coyotes and Taylor Hall by a score of
1: three to one. You know, okay, let's break this down, because maybe some of our listeners haven't been fully aware of the situation. You know, people are busy in this pandemic. You know, they're they're not necessarily keeping up with hockey. Let me break it down for them, Dan. This was one of the two series that had direct stakes for the New Jersey Devils. Mm -hmm. And the stakes were if Arizona lost this series and proceeded to lose the lottery, the Devils would have gotten Arizona's draft pick in the first round. And if Chicago and Montreal won their series, which by the way, they did Mm -hmm. that pick would have been moved up to ninth overall, meaning the Devils would have had seventh and ninth overall. And all you had to do was get a sixth seed Nashville team, That literally fired their head coach because the team was not really going anywhere and then bizarrely decided to hire John Hines Mm -hmm. to try and fix
0: that. Notorious uh,
1: go somewhere guy. And people like me honestly thought, you know, Arizona, there's a reason why they're an 11th overall seat, you know. You know, yeah, they, they, their goaltending works out. Yeah, they got nice guys on paper, but this team is capped out and literally is the definition of met when they, when they get things together. All Nashville needs to do is control the pace of play, have decent goaltending, finish some chances. Well, guess what they didn't do? They
0: didn't do two of those
1: three things. <laughs> they did not do two of those three things. And as such, the Devils do get Arizona's first rounder. But instead of it being a top 10 pick in this draft class where you really want to be in the top 10 – it's now in the middle to the later end of the first round. This is what I get for putting some trust into John Hines. Who knew that he was not a very good coach and get his team to the next level? I should have known, Dan. I definitely should have known. Yeah, and it's it's
0: you can't say it's an undeserving result for Arizona. Like, yes, they got outplayed no, in the run of play for the most part, but Darcy Kemper was playing at a pretty elite level the entire series.
1: Yep, and Nashville, because they couldn't finish the chances, they couldn't take advantage of power plays, they couldn't take care of situations. You know, they'd start hot, but once Arizona was able to beat their forecheck, you know, all of a sudden you start noticing, huh, Nashville's not covering guys around their net. Huh, Nashville's turning the puck over at up high in the, on offense and giving up opportunities. Huh, their goaltending isn't on point. Gee, I wonder how this goes <laughs> after seeing this for five
0: years under John Ines, Dan. yeah it's uh it's not great and it wasn't great for nashville and they nope. get to eagerly await the results of monday's lottery as well so i mean that wouldn't be the worst destination in my mind by any means i think if i had it my way it would be either winnipeg nashville or the next team on our list which is the minnesota wild after they lost the vancouver canucks uh in four games it took an overtime in game four but it didn't take long into that overtime for vancouver to move on thus solidifying the third first rounder that the devils will have in the 2020 draft
1: Right. So this was the other series the Devils had direct stakes in. It was very simple. Either Vancouver wins the series and the Devils get their pick for this year or they lose and it becomes a 2021 pick. And Vancouver put the Wild on the brink with a 3-0 shutout. So naturally my heart sank when I saw you know, early on it was 2-1 Minnesota after the first period. I went to bed because I'm old and I wanted to sleep. Um, but I was very happy to wake up to see that Mr. Bo Horvat tied it up with about uh, a little under six minutes to go. And then 11 seconds into OT, Chris Tanev, all by himself, just a shot from the point, gets through the traffic, beats Alex Dallock and Vancouver goes to the playoffs, and the Devils get a third first round pick and so with all
0: those implications obviously you know we don't know all the matchups at the time of recording uh because right. toronto and columbus still have yet to play and the round robin team still have to uh, resolve their seating we do know generally we have a general idea of who might play who in the western conference but in terms of how this relates to the devils because that's what you come here for the consequence is that as things stand now the devils have the seventh overall pick the 18th overall and the 20th overall the only thing that will change the this at this point is if one of vancouver arizona chicago or montreal make their conference finals one or multiple make their respective conference finals
1: right and i'm gonna just spoil everything right now as wacky as this playoff could be because you know hey this is a pandemic situation lots of weird things can happen there's no crowds everybody's definitely intense. They're definitely dialed into playing, but you know, everybody's dialed into playing. but I don't think any of those four, any of those four teams are going to make the conference finals. Mm -hmm. I think once the round Robin teams step in, you're going to realize, huh, there's a reason why these teams did not finish high in the standings. Yeah. (laughs) The cream is going to rise to the top. And guess what? Chicago, Montreal, Vancouver and Arizona, you're not creamy. You're very much not creamy.
0: Yeah, I feel like Montreal will wilt under the pressure of playing either Philadelphia or Tampa Bay, which is the situation right now. But again, who knows with this bubble, but it's very likely the Devils will have picks 7, 18, and 20. And again, three – First rounders in any year is not a bad thing. Obviously, the picks could have been better, but this is still a pretty good scenario for New Jersey because it offers them some flexibility in not only who to select and when to select them, but it also gives them the opportunity to recuperate picks in the second and third round, which they're lacking this year.
1: Right. In fact, that's actually one other bit of business that we did. We forgot to cover from the Carolina uh, series Mm -hmm. against our hated rivals. Mm -hmm. Another conditional was up at play in that series. So literally the day before the qualifying round began, the NHL made a clarification to the Sammy Vattening conditional pick because obviously there was no regular season games after the pause. Mm-hmm. So the first condition was, does Vattening play at least five games in the regular season for Carolina? And if so, he there's at least a pick involved. So they changed it to if Vattening played at least two games in this qualifying series, regardless of whether or not Carolina won or not, the Devils would get a fourth round pick from Carolina. And if Carolina beat our hated rivals, which they did, and Vattenham played it in at least two of those games, which he did, then if he goes on to play 70% of their playoff games, then the Devils will get Carolina's third-round pick for this year instead of a fourth-rounder from this year. So they could get a third-rounder at the end of this, assuming Vattenham keeps playing for Carolina – and not, and when I say 70%, mind you, that's like he needs to play almost every game. Like mm-hmm. it's not just going to be like he appears two more times and that's it. Yeah, like, yeah. He's got to be a regular. And we'll see about whether or not Dougie Hamilton returns if that happens. My understanding is that he's been playing big minutes for Carolina. So I doubt he's going to go from the uh, penthouse to the outhouse real fast. That being said, that's up to Rod the Bod Brindamore, <laughs> the head coach of Carolina. And, you know, maybe the second swollest man in the NHL behind Mark Bergerman. <laughs> but <laughs> absolutely crushing it, by the way, in Carolina. Yeah, exactly. You know, the gains are real, Dan. The gains are real. Yeah. Uh, but uh, when he's not game planning at his local GNC, you know, he, he seemingly likes uh, Sammy Vatt. So there are some stakes going into the playoffs, but the Devils could absolutely use their three first rounders to, as you say, get some picks down in the draft. Since there's an argument to be made that the top of the second round and the end of the first round aren't that dissimilar in terms of quality. At the same time, the Devils could use those two first-rounders to potentially move up to get another another higher first-round pick. I mean, they could go in that direction as well because they now have extra picks to
0: play with. Mm-hmm. So so what do you think, given the situation the Devils are in now with the new regime, with um, you know new management in, and the fact that they now are very well aware of what their assets are going to be in this draft, um, what do you think their plan is and what do you think it should be as a, you know when you think about packaging those two picks to move up you can package one of those picks to get more picks later you can use them in an immediate trade for immediate help um or you could just really take every single pick you have in the first round and use it essentially shooting fish in a barrel for a franchise that really has nothing to lose in that department
1: right now Say what you want about Ray Sharrow and Paul Castron, but the Devil's prospect pool is a lot better now than what it was when Ray Sharrow took over. I think that's an unqualified state of fact. Yes. And more importantly, they have a lot of players. They have a lot of quantity in their system. So the Devils can get away with, you know, move packaging eighteen to twenty to move up to like, say, nine or ten or eleven. It's gonna be it's gonna be one of those things that if it does happen, Dan, it's gonna be at the draft like during the draft as well, Mm -hmm. because that's the type of move you make if there's somebody you absolutely positively want and the team that you're talking to is willing to move down. Um, And given that those teams could potentially be a team like, say, Florida or a team like, say, um, you know, whoever loses out from Toronto and Columbus. or.
0: Well, Vancouver doesn't have their first rounder
1: anymore. Vancouver doesn't have their first rounder, but we're talking about the Devils moving up, so they would have to trade it to a team oh, that's ahead of team. Yeah, right. They have to go to a team like Minnesota. There's there's another team. So, it, but again, it's going to be dependent on you know if say I'm just going to throw a name out here like if Cole Perfetti's available at nine, mm-hmm. you know that's somebody that you may at least kick the tires on. Hey, can I call? Hey, can I move up or do you or you do really 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 want Perfetti? Um, if you don't get any takers, keep the two firsts. Um, because in this draft class, as much as I keep saying, you, you want to be in the top 10, you want to be in the top 12, as much as you can, you, there are good prospects available at that range. It's just, there's a very wider difference of opinion in terms of who's a good prospect, but, and who's going to be available around there, Mm. but there's not going to be, you're not going to get a scrub at that level. It's not going to be a case of, you know, there's only 10 good guys in this draft and everybody else is just, you know. A jabroni. Like this is, you know, you're going to get a solid talent here. And depending on who falls out of that top 10 and who falls out of that top 15, you could end up with somebody really good. So as of right now, Dan, I would keep the first until the draft day itself. And then I would definitely be very active on the phones with my draft list on the side to say, okay, I know who I want to pick, but unless these guys, if these guys are still available and they're on my board, they're on my list you know, then I'll call. And if not, then I'll just go to the next guy on the list. Mm-hmm. Okay. And
0: just for the sake of conjecture, if there is immediate help available, let's say um, some sort of defenseman that a team, a cap team is having trouble fitting into their situation, would you package at least one of the first for it? Or would that be a little bit too much for you?
1: Well, it's funny you mentioned that because Chicago is an exactly I'm sorry. Chicago is a perfect example of a team that could make a deal like that because not only is Chicago up against the cap and they also have no goaltender signed for next season. They also are at the contract limit if they keep all their RFAs Uh like they would have 52 contracts, which they and none of them can slide. So, I mean, two guys got to go like. The NHL is very hard and fast on that rule. You can't have more than uh, 50 SPCs, as they call them, standard player contracts. So they would be highly interested in something like a first for a player. And maybe another pick comes back as a sweetener. Like maybe, I'm just going to throw this out here. Maybe you take Vancouver's pick at 20. Say, hey, Chicago, we'll take Oli Mata and your second rounder off your hands and and see if they bite. Because then they'll, they'll have one fewer contract. They'll have an extra four and a half million of space. The Devils have a a defenseman, maybe not the most ideal defenseman, but a defenseman, you know, that they could certainly use. And they get a second rounder as sort of a recoup of that of that first going away. That's the sort of thing I would consider. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't package both of them. I, I think the Devils need to keep at least two first rounders uh given the moves they've made in the past, especially considering that Fitzgerald was responsible for getting one of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and how about packaging
0: the later of the two extra picks that they got uh, for maybe one or two second rounders? Or two two second rounders and maybe—or one second rounder and one third or something like that?
1: It's going to be dependent on who's making the offer here. If it's going to be somebody that's going to be high up in the second round, I'd think about it because, again— you know there's not going to be that much of a difference between number 20 and number 30 in my opinion like yeah i would prefer to be in 20 than in 30 it just as a general point but if you're telling me i'm not going to get roni hervonen but i could give, potentially get john jason Paterka at like say 30 34 then i'd say i'll think about it maybe maybe i'll make that move because i don't think there's a big difference in quality as a pro- from a prospect perspective in that sense but i wouldn't i wouldn't engage if it comes from somebody like you know, somebody who I know is going to have a hot, uh, a low second rounder or a low third rounder to go to that. Because then, what are you trading for? Like, you're you're making yourself actively worse. Mm-hmm. That would be the sort of thing you would do if the Devils didn't have a lot of draft picks or didn't have pro- a lot of prospects in their pool. But since they have a lot of prospects in their pool, they can afford to look for quality more so than just quantity. Okay, yeah, definitely makes sense. And that that quantity that they've
0: had um, for a while. I don't want them to be in a situation where they kind of get stuck with the picks if they don't want to if they don't have strong feelings about players in the first round who are still at that range. You know what I mean? I I mm-hmm. don't want them to have a situation that uh, Boston found themselves in a couple years ago where they had three consecutive picks in the first round, and everyone and their mother thought they'd move at least one of them, but they apparently couldn't find a partner for them, and they somehow triple whiffed on Matt Barzell. So I really don't yeah. want to be in that situation where they're saddled with these picks, but they end up taking players that they don't—they're not particularly enamored with, but they are available at that slot.
1: Exactly. And and the ironic thing here is that as much as people have killed Boston for their decision, myself included— Boston has remained to be a very good team. Like they, they found a way to make it work, which it goes back to my earlier point about having good management is much better than getting a good draft pick. You know, mm-hmm. if you're able to keep the guys that make your team successful, find the right complementary parts. Yes. You whiffed big on not getting Matt Barzell among other prospects in that draft, but they did hit big on other drafts and hit big on other free agents that they identified and have gone essentially from strength to strength. So, you know, credit, to, credit to Boston in that sense. Um, But you're absolutely right, Dan. You don't want to be in a situation where you get three first rounders and then you completely whiff on the last two when you could have had a guy like, say, um, you know, not that there's like a game breaking name. But like if, say, let's say Jack Quinn, for example, just falls out of favor and he's available at 18 and you whiff on him and then you fell him, he falls to 20 and you whiff on him. You're going to be sitting there going, guys, you could have had one of the better right wingers in this entire draft class for free and instead you picked some other guys. That might be good, but they're not 50 goal scorers at the
0: age of 17. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and from a value perspective, if you consider that it took a second and a third to get Kyle Palmieri, there's probably a lot of good things they can get with one of these picks being used in a package. There's, when I'm talking about immediate help, you mentioned the Chicago situation, but there's a lot of help they can find at forward. They they need help in most positions here. This is not a. Oh, yeah. it's, it's not like a particularly – tightly formed team. This is something that's very flexible right now and they need help wherever they can get it. But I'm wondering if maybe even packaging that first with one of their expiring contracts uh, that we were talking about a couple weeks ago might be attractive for someone.
1: It could be. And if, it, you know, again, there's always a lot of factors involved. Part of the reason why Shero found Palmieri with the second rat second rounder was because Anaheim straight up told him, we don't think we can sign him in a year, mm-hmm. which is, Absolutely the case. Anaheim was cap strapped and they figured Palmieri was going to be too good to not ask for a a contract worth his value, which fair play to Palmieri. He shouldn't be doing that. And um, so they they decided, okay, we're going to take a chance and we'll we'll move him for a pick now because a year from now when he's potentially going to be holding out for a better contract, we're not going to get a second runner. We'll get something lesser because everybody will know I have no leverage. So it's going to be dependent on how well Fitzgerald reads the room, so to speak, reads other teams' cap situations. I imagine he's going to be very – well, let me rephrase that. He should be very active with respect to getting familiar with Chicago's situation, Arizona's situation, because somehow they're cap-strapped already for next season, Mm -hmm. which is very bad considering they finished 11th in the West and they're only moving on because they got to play the John (laughs) Hyde Predators in a 2014 tournament that was caused by a pandemic of all things. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm a little salty about that. result. <laughs> I apologize to the listeners. I'm not. Actually, no, I'm not sorry about feeling salty about it. That's just how I feel. I'm just keeping it real here. But more seriously, though, is he should be familiar with Arizona. He should be familiar with Toronto. He should be familiar with Tampa Bay. There's a lot of, as you said, there are a lot of teams that they are they're up against a flat cap for next season and could be a flat cap for beyond next season. So guess what? For a team like New Jersey that has tons of cap space, and they have some assets. They have a new GM in charge, even though he's not that new to the organization. You know, you have a lot of room here. You just got to be able to read it appropriately and identify who could be had for what. I wish the Devils still had a second rounder to play with because if they had the three first and a second, then you could definitely see one of those four picks being moved for something. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is.
0: Right. And so just to land this at this point, um, what are some names that if they do end up keeping all three of their picks, what are some names that we might see? You know, we we discussed the seven range uh, a while back, but in yeah. that 18 and 20 range, all of a sudden the possibility of the tri-state Russian goalie triumvirate becomes much more likely.
1: Actually, I would disagree. I don't think Askarov is going to fall all the way to 18 and Okay, 20. but it's more yeah.
0: likely that the Devils pick him at 18 or 20 is my point than... Um, you know, he might not be there at 18 or 20, but it's more likely that they would use that pick on him there than it would uh, if they are right. at, like, 11.
1: Yeah, yeah like, if Askarov falls to 18, go take him. Yeah. Like, if you really think he's got the goods. Now, that's the important thing. If you don't think he's all that in a bag of chips, then don't spend a first-rounder on him. But if you believe in his uh, skill set, you believe it's going to grow, you believe he's going to go from strength to strength, you be- you're willing to wait until he's done with his contract at of Scott St. Petersburg. Um then by all means, take him at 18 or 20. But I just don't think he's going to fall that far. I think he's not going to get past um, 12, just like Spencer Knight didn't go past 12 last
0: year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what are some options for the Devils at 18 and 20?
1: Right. So the thing about this draft, and this is true with all drafts, is that once you get beyond the top 10 – you know, you read one person's list, it's going to be very different from another person's list. So I apologize if I'm going to hit you with a lot of names here. Yeah, that's fine. So, it, but I'm, I'm just trying to – I'm casting a wide net to hope to, hoping to catch yeah, two. Friends. And
0: at 18 and 20, you know, any one of these people or more could be available or not available, and it's less – you know, it's less – it's harder to predict than who's going to be available at number seven. So as many names oh, yeah. as possible because you have to cast a wide net here.
1: Right. So I'm going to break it down first by defensemen, then wingers and then centers. Mm -hmm. So this way we'll we'll organize this a little. So among the defensemen that could be available at 18 or 20, um, you know, Braden Schneider out of Brandon, you know, big, mean defenseman out of the WHL. You know, got a lot of good talent. Similarly, another big, mean defenseman out of the WHL for Prince Albert, Kaiden Gooley. You know, he's very talented as well. If you like your offensive defenseman and you don't mind the size, uh, Lucas Cormier of Charlottetown of the QMJHL is definitely somebody you should be considering. Um, You know, if you like upside and you're willing to wait, you're willing to work on a project, a guy who just turned six foot four and he's still 17, 17 years old, I think right now. William Wallander at a moto in Sweden is another interesting name. Um. You know, if you want to reach a little bit, uh, Justin Barron out of Halifax, you know, his season was cut short due to his, uh, health condition, but all, all encounters show that, you know, he's, um, he's going to be okay. Um, I don't like this player, but he's going to be available in this range. And once, if you can make the talent work, he could be a very special offensive player. But my fear is that he's not going to be able to learn how to play defense at the next <laughs> level. Uh, Jeremy Poirier of St. John, mm. um, and then, of course, there's his um, there's his uh, partner, even though I think it would be way too high to take him at 18 or 20. But, hey, if you like him that much and you think of it, you believe in his talent, you know, sw- you know swing or swing, William Villanueva. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, those are some of the defensemen that are going to be available in that range that you should at least think about, get a little familiar with, because if their name shows up, you're going to be like, i never heard of this. And it's like, well, if you listen to us, <laughs> would have heard of them by now. and <laughs> Oh, you would have an opinion and say that would be good or no, that's too much of a reach. You should have traded down, but that is what it is. But definitely the two big defensemen to look for at 18 to 20 would be Schneider and Goulet, the two WHL guys. Mm. Now let's go to wing. So do you like right wingers, Dan? I like any right winger that
0: I like any winger that can score.
1: Okay. Well, I've got some good news for you because there's plenty of potential names who are wingers who could score. Perfect. Yes. So one is Dawson Mercer out of Chicoutimi. Uh He was one of the few uh, draft eligible players that was named to Team Canada at the World Junior Championships. So definitely Team Canada thinks he's got the goods. Um, he scored, I believe, uh, 24 and 42 games with Chicoutimi. Um, you know, so he's definitely a name that you want to consider. Um, Seth Jarvis out of Portland. If he's available, I would say run to the Zoom window and announce his name. He's a... Smaller guy out of Portland. He's listed as a center. I think he'll make it as a winger. 42 goals in 58 games with uh, with the Winterhawks. Lots of talent to like there. Uh, if you like your OHLers, you got Jacob Perot out of Sarnia. He scored 39-57. He's got lots of offensive talent lots of things to like in his game. Um, if you like Germans, Dan, you got JJ Perturka, John Jason Perturka, who played for Red Bull Munich. That's in a, that's a men's league, so his numbers aren't going to jump off the page. But we're talking about an 18-year-old playing in a men's professional league on a growing German league. Like, don't be surprised if you start seeing more German names in future draft classes because guys like uh, like uh, Stutzle, uh, Paterka, and uh, this other guy uh, Lucas Reichel, who's another name to consider, um, is definitely a guy that uh, you know they're leading the German wave, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And additionally, uh, if you like Swedish guys, there's been some. Definite ranges of opinion. Some think he's worthy of a top 10 pick. Some people don't like his consistency or don't think the talent will translate nearly as well as people will hope. But Noel Gundler out of Lulea, uh, def, you know, he played on the pro team this uh, past year. He's big. He's got a good uh, good head on his shoulders, and he's got plenty of talent. And lastly, uh, maybe the best Russian, play, Russian skater, I guess, in this draft, if he falls to 18 or 20 like Seth Jarvis, I think you should just run to the podium to na- name him. Uh, Rodin Amaraev out of Ufa. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, he played with the men this year. He played 17 games with the men's team and scored uh, 10 goals. I mean, for an 18 year old that's pretty, pretty good. Uh, definitely look into his contract situation. Make sure that he's willing to come over at some point in the near future. But if he is and you like his skill set, you know, you got a left winger that uh, could do a lot of good things for you in the future. So those are some wingers to consider. And, oh, of course, I forgot the – Possibly the biggest winger that could fall there. Jack Quinn mm-hmm. <laughs> with the Ottawa 67s. If you're a Devils fan, you know who he is. Uh, he does not play next to Marco Rossi, but he scores a lot of goals. He plays on their second line. And, uh, yeah, good size, good skating, very good shot, and tons of production. What's not to like in your in, in your future right winger prospect? So if Quinn's available at 18 or 20, similar to uh, what I just said about Amoreov, and, um, you know, just run to the Zoom window and announce him. And there you go. Yeah, Quinn was someone we
0: talked about as potentially, like, a long reach at seven, which means that 18 or 20 would be a gift to see him there. So, uh... Yeah, he's
1: one of those guys that's been rising up the draft board as more people have been thinking about this draft class. Mm -hmm. And I can't blame him. You can't look – 52 goals in the OHL as a draft-eligible player is 52 goals. Like, that's not common.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, that'll that'll also keep the dream alive of – Quinn Hughes eventually playing out his entry-level contract and going coming over to play with his brother, giving us the combination of Jack Hughes, Quinn Hughes, and Jack Quinn.
1: Poor Ken Dennis. <laughs> He's going to have not,
0: like... a tough time sorting
1: that out. <laughs> right. Well, let's let's close this out with some centers, because there's definitely some centers. And Now, mind you, when I say center, that doesn't mean they're going to be a center in the NHL. They're just listed as centers right now. Right. And, yes, technically, you know, Dawson Mercer's listed as a center in some places. Uh, Jarvis is listed as a center in some places. I just think they will be wingers at the next level. But guys like uh, Conor Zari out of Kamloops of the WHL, very talented player, very good center out uh, of Kamloops. Jan Misak or Jan Misak, depending on who you talk to, uh, possibly the best Czech player in this draft class. Uh, plays for Hamilton in the OHL, so there's no concern about coming over. He's already acclimated to the uh, Pro game. has got a lot of good offensive talent. Needs to put some meat on those bones, but he'll get there. Mm-hmm. He'll get there. Uh, Maverick Bork, another guy. Uh, not a super big center out of Seanigan, but uh, plenty of talent, plenty of uh, moves, so to speak. He's another potential uh, name. Roni Hervonen, the a- aforementioned Finnish guy out of Asat of the Liga. Uh, primarily played with the Liga uh, in this past season and you know has a lot of good uh, moves, a lot of, a lot of potential upside in his game. Um, Brandon Burson is a bit of a reach, but he played for Chicago Steel of the USHL who had, who arguably had the best season out of all the junior teams. Mm-hmm. Like they had some crazy points percentage of like 90% or something like that. Or they were near 90% point percentage, which, you know, tells you that they just did not lose games. And Burson was their best player, their best forward, their best center on that team. So he's available. He could be an option if you're willing to reach a little bit for him, but there's a lot to like in his game, so to speak. And then there's a wild card, and we I think I touched on him before. Actually, there are two wild cards, one that I like and one that I'm scared of. Okay. So I'll talk about the one I'm scared of first. Is Hendrix Lapierre because at first it was reported he had three concussions in like eight months, uh-huh. and then he revealed that he had a neck problem, which isn't really that much better. It's not that confidence-inducing about his long-term viability of being a professional athlete. Right. But uh, he's one of those players that, you know, he – he blew up at the Link gretzky Cup before last season. He scored a bunch of points before he um, went out due to, due to injury. There's, it's, it's a classic case of loads of talent. It's just a big, big, big question mark of whether or not he's going to be on, available to be on the ice to play, play up to it. But if he can and he stays healthy, you know, you got a super good center talent, you know, somewhere in the middle to the late part of this first round. And the other guy that I like that I think would be a reach, but I think the Devils should consider it and a bunch of guys should consider it. And I'm not just saying that because Will Scoush thinks he's great and the guys at Doppers Prospects like, think he's great and others think he's great. It's the St. Petersburg uh, madman himself, Marat Kuznodinov. <laughs> he's been a bit of a meme in the scouting community, but the dude's talents are legit at the MHL level. And, um, yeah, he's not the biggest guy in the world. Yeah. He gets to get a little bit stronger, but the speed is there. The smarts are there. The hands are there. And honestly, if you got those three things, you have a good chance to go far in this league. So, you know, it would be a bit of a reach to take him at 18 or 20, but you could justifiably take him. And should he turn out to be as good as the people who see him right now think he could be then similar to LaPierre, you'll get, you'll have yourself a very special forward talent, um, in the middle of this draft.
0: Yeah, so lots of good options potentially for the Devils to pick at 18 and 20. Obviously, there's a lot of different directions they can go, but they do have a lot of flexibility thanks to the results of this qualifying round. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Garden State of Hockey. Um, You know, Obviously, we're all watching with bated breath on what happens during the lottery, and we'll cover that on the next episode. But uh, beyond that... Keep enjoying the playoffs. It's been a really good restart so far for the NHL Uh, from a logistics perspective. It's been good from a gameplay perspective and also broadcasting the games pretty much continuously throughout the day while everyone is sitting at home is a joy. It's been so delightful to have constant hockey to watch and really constant sports back. So good to see him back as long as they stay safe. um, Happy to have him back. That all being said, we'll look forward to what the Devils do in the next couple of months. We've got time since they have to make any kinds of decisions on what they do with these first round picks uh, for a while. But again, we're also rooting against these four teams, uh, Vancouver, Arizona, Montreal. Oh, sorry, three teams. Vancouver, Arizona, Montreal. Oh, it is four teams. Chicago is included as well. We do not want them to make the conference finals. I think that could be the end of that. John, any final... Good luck
1: to everybody involved, and please, 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 draft lottery. Do not pick the Rangers. Please do not pick the Rangers. I don't want to have to hear from the New York Ranger fans about Alexis Lafreniere for the next seven years. Uh,
0: I don't want to hear from Penguins fans. I definitely don't want to hear from Leafs fans if they end up losing, and oh, oh, God. And I don't want him to be ruined by the Oilers.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm fine with him being ruined by the Oilers.
0: It yeah, doesn't it's affect just, it's just, that game. I know, but it's just no fun when a good talent is just in that Edmonton black hole. Anyway, okay. that's Beyond the Point. Thanks for listening to this episode of Garden State of Hockey. We'll catch you guys next week. And, yeah, keep enjoying the playoffs. Have a good rest of your day or night whenever you listen to this.